We are already in the seventh month of the year, if you can believe it. It's also a Friday, and that means great storytelling from a business leader in Africa. We bring you another episode of Meet the CEO. Today's CEO is an urgent believer in sports investment and the change that will bring to the continent. Meet Rose Margas, CEO of Rover Sports Academy. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse and everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Adong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the Q Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Adong. Rose Margas describes herself as an avid reader, a technology enthusiast, and a mentor. She's also quick to add that her work in technology opened her to the possibilities of what sports on the continent can look like with the right data and investment. Rose Margas, CEO of Rover Sports Academy, walks us through her journey. Who is Rose Margas? I am Rose Margas, the founder and CEO of Rover Sports Academy, which is, uh, to be honest, the newest passion, newest baby uh, for me, uh, which I've plugged into background research probably the last uh, seven or so years and uh, launching of the business uh, three years ago, of course, two years taken away by the pandemic. But um, here we are uh, down the line. And I believe that uh, this is my next big calling to be doing sports and especially sports in Africa. But by way of, of background, I am a trained electrical engineer uh, having studied electrical engineering at the undergraduate level, I've done my master's in uh, business administration and information systems. For the last uh, 16 or so years, I've been in the technology space. So IT is where I have lived the digital space for the last 16 years. And I've loved it. I've been passionate about it. And uh, here I am now taking on to a new journey, which in my Life I'm actually calling like I'm pivoting because I'm literally moving into uh, the sports space and understanding what sports is and how we can be able to deliver sports for Africa. What inspires and drives you? I believe I was born a sports fan, the first part, and I'm still a sports fan. I've traveled around the world to watch sports, be it tennis, be it football, be it athletics. I've stayed up late at night watching cricket. And what has puzzled me over the years is the amount of African talent that we have in the sports arena, vis-a-vis the number of uh, athletes or African athletes actually earning income from sports or living a career off of sports. So, well, as much as I've been puzzled over the years, I think I was pushed on the forefront when I had children who really wanted to do sports. And I tried to find a solution for them all around and see what is it that can be done. And I came into clear realizations that there are a number of things that can that need to be put in place uh, within our context to be able to deliver sporting talent at a professional level, at a career level. And so I said I will embark on that journey. Of course, every day I'm reminded by my sons who are deep into their sports journey that there is still more that I can be able to do. So for me, I've lived in Africa all my life and I'm amazed by what we can be able to do as Africa. And every now and then the question I keep asking myself is what am I doing? What am I as an individual doing in that particular space? And as I talk to different people, I'm always asking, so what? You can list for me the problems, but what solutions are you offering? So for me, my biggest drive to see all this is to say, what is my piece 
in delivering a solution for Africa. And I believe that until I am six feet under, always an opportunity. There's, there's so many challenges, problems that we can list in Africa. And I think we are past that stage of just listing them because I believe last two weeks ago when I was in Rwanda, I was telling some colleagues that if we took a timestamp to 50 years ago, we'd probably see that there was a group of people similar to us who were sitting down and talked about the same, same problems that Africa is going through. So I am driven by the fact that I want to be part of the solution. And I, I mean, I come to life when I see children, when I see sports, that's where I live. And that's my drive. Walk us through the journey of setting up Rover Sports Academy. So Rover Sports Academy, actually, what I refer to it is that it's a high performance sporting program that is really aimed at giving the youth, the children who have sporting talent, an opportunity to actually go professional with that. So we do offer five sports, that is athletics, soccer, uh, which is football, uh, swimming, tennis, and rugby. And we're going to be introducing basketball in the course of this year. And really, when I started out with this, of course, I've talked about my children being at the center of this. And I did have children who are playing tennis and uh, soccer, and especially for the tennis children who are doing a lot of traveling and realizing that uh, as we travel, we were missing out on the academics part of it or the schooling part of it. And then the fact that a lot of our schools then run the sport of the term. So when I looked at that and say, so this time you have to all of you do basketball because that's what the school is doing or hockey. Yet there's people who are not talented, interested in basketball or hockey and really just want to do their swimming. And that time they're not doing swimming in school or the school they are in is not doing swimming. So I started this particular journey with saying, hey, you know, uh, I did a lot of research. I traveled to Spain. I traveled to the UK. I traveled to the US to just see uh, what is it that the rest of the world is doing and achieving in the youth sports uh, sector? I did travel to France also to do a bit more research on that. And so as I continue to find information, I did find that we have a big gap between how do we integrate education and sports? And so that's the niche that I said, let me come and address that, that we do not have to miss out on sports to do education and we don't have to miss out on education to do sports. So come 2019 in April, I did launch the Rover Sports Academy as a program. And at that particular point, we were only doing the sports part and partnering with uh, uh, another school to be able to do the academics part of it. But we realized that we still were facing the same challenge. So, of course, in 2020, we were closed for the pandemic. And then when we opened in 2021, August, about August last year, we decided to go all out and offer the education part of it, the sporting part of it, and we do have a boarding facility to that. Now, fast forward and moving through the journey, we have uh, children in the academy and so far proud to say that we've had 13, 14-year-old girls from the academy doing tennis, representing the country in the different uh, uh, tennis competitions. They've traveled to Algeria, they've traveled to Rwanda, they've traveled to Egypt, are representing Kenya in the tennis sport. And really, those are some of the achievements. Of course, amongst that is that we've been able to secure a number of partnerships. We've been able to secure a partnership with Olympic UNE, which is uh, one of the best youth academies in the world. And for us, that is a partnership to be able to support our technical program to ensure that we can 
learn from the best. They are over 70 years old. Learn from the best and know that France, I mean, does very well in sports, in most sports. So we really wanted to learn from that. We have partnerships like uh, worldwide scholarships just to ensure that our children through the academy uh, have a pathway to college because we understand and it's very clear that no, less than 5% of the children that do sports uh, at very high level at the, at, in the youthful years actually make it to professional. So we've got to also take care of the 95% that you know, will need to get careers either within the sporting industry or outside the sporting industry. The partnership with Olympique Lyonnais, what does this mean for the sports ecosystem that you're building? And it's good that you asked that question and using Olympique Lyonnais partnership and France uh, as our stage uh, to see what we can be able to learn from that. I remember the first time when the team from Olympique Lyonnais came to Kenya to visit, they asked to meet with the FKF, which is the football federation for Kenya, the Kenyan Football Federation. And they were very clear that you cannot run sports in isolation. You've got to understand the landscape within the country, within the region, within who are the other players, what are they doing, and um, uh, what can you collectively be able to deliver. Because for us to be able to come up with a national team, we've got to get these players from different, uh, say, academies or programs within the country. However, if you don't have a philosophy within the country that you're using, or a way of doing things the way France has, you know, a philosophy that one way or the other, what they're teaching in the different academies is the tactics, but the philosophy is very central that you can easily tell this is a French player by the way they play, you know, and uh, I mean, what's the French way of playing. So that's a similar thing that we are looking at that through this partnership, we will be able to work with other players within the market, uh, within Kenya, within Africa to come up with our philosophy of doing things and collectively change the landscape. I will give you an example. This particular partnership called Olympic Lunar, we are the 10th partner in the world. One of the other partners is based in Lebanon. And by the, they were celebrating 10 years last year. And in those 10 years, they've been able to actually develop a youth league within uh, Lebanon that then is able to develop talent to, you know, to get the best out of the best. So that is one of the other things that we're doing in this particular partnership that we hope within the next three or so years that we have a very clear youth league and youth development uh, program for all our sports, not only our soccer, but really that is working with the federations within the country. So uh, we started from the beginning accreditation by the federation. So for example, when I talk about the tennis uh, children going out to represent uh, the country, it's because they are selected by the federation and we work very closely with the federation. So for me, I think this partnership is really going to impact on, you know, the landscape of sporting in the different sports that we are offering. And not only that, the fact that uh, we as pioneers are doing this, want to believe that uh, within the next uh, few years, we will see a lot more academies that are copying what we do and mushrooming within Africa. And we hope that that then can change the landscape for Africa as a continent in terms of how we approach uh, youth sports. And that is really our children and uh, education and sporting. Rover Sports Academy has STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math as a core part of its curriculum. 
Why is this and what impact do you hope this will generate? I think the approach that we've had over the period of time in Africa towards sporting has been that talent doesn't necessarily go together with brains. And we've seen the best brains do very well in sports around the world. So for us, it's really to say with the right balance, you can be able to deliver anything. And for us, our really big focus is for these children to be the best individuals ever. We actually say we have a triple approach to, to the children that we work with. So we want them to be excellent in sports, to be excellent in the education, and to be excellent as citizens of whichever country that they are in. And when we talk about the citizen, means that they can be able to do the best they can be uh, in any place that they go to. So when we equip them with skills in uh, STEM, And what would be interesting for you to note is that uh, we actually have a program that uh, our children are required to, on a weekly basis, to listen into a science-based research program that is just encouraging the importance of of scientific research in anything that they do. And I believe that there's nothing in this world that we do that doesn't have a science component to it. And this is one of the areas that we felt we do not have enough scientific research happening in Africa. And so as we have these children and we have access to them, it's really to encourage them to understand what science plays in anything that they do. And in a very simplified way, so much so that they can do anything in that. And so for us, the STEM part of it is really to break down that STEM is not that complex thing. If they can do sports, they can do STEM, they can do anything else. And also appreciating that uh, sports is a science. I know there is a component of sports that is an art, but a big chunk of sports is actually a science. And that's why we've integrated STEM into anything and everything that the children do at the academy. There are programs like Rover Digital Girls and Kids Coding Programs in the other company you lead, Rover Digital. Did the work with Rover Digital inspire the STEM program at the academy? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. The world is so interrelated. It's so interconnected. And honestly, I think it's actually technology that pushed me into sports and just to see how much technology is consumed in the sporting world. Actually, uh, I mean, as uh, as Robert Digital, I did sit into an AWS, that's Amazon Web Services uh, Summit uh, last, I believe that was in 2020. And the lineup of the people performing was one, Formula One. They had, uh, I think, three people from Formula One presenting about how technology has helped to reduce the time it takes to take, you know, to change the tires and make, measuring those metrics and actually using artificial intelligence to predict what can be done and change the courses and, you know, all those other things. And so for me, that was one of the things that I, I came back and what we are actually doing at uh, the Rover Sports Academy is to see that we integrate technology in the core of it. Because today, really, I don't think you can talk about not food, not the food industry. There is no industry that is working without sport. So for me, that was a big, big contributing factor to see that by engaging in sports and integrating you know, technology and really embedding technology into everything that we do, that I will still remain in the technology space while delivering the sporting talent in Africa. What factors were pivotal in looking at the academy as a viable venture in Africa? Over the years, I've always known that I need to do the next big thing. And so when I've been doing technology, that was what, I mean, I believed was the next big thing. 
until I went into sporting and I saw myself in a stadium and coming to life and I say, that's what I want to deliver for Africa. And honestly, I think uh, two weeks ago, I was having lunch with Dr. James Mangi of Equity and I was telling, by introduction, I was telling him, I just want to commit the next 50 years of my life for sports for Africa and just see how far we can go because we are barely scratching the surface and every day and I am at something new. I just look at it and I am wowed at how much. It's so simple. It's like a basic thing that needs to be done, yet no one is doing it. And for me, I think that's one of the things I've told my children uh, that if the day I go rest, I want to be known to have contributed to the sporting fraternity in the African context. One of my mentors is the the soccer academy in Lebanon. He's actually in logistics and then started the soccer academy because, of course, inspired again by his son, who actually did lead a, a professional career, a life in soccer. But whenever we've talked and I've asked him what has kept you in there, and he told me, I mean, the day you go into a stadium and you see one of the children that has gone through your hands, lifting a trophy, you forget about all the pain that you've gone through. And we all know that sports has adrenaline. So one of my uh, very good friends asked me, talk about this passion and passion and why can't you convert this passion and commercialize it? And that's what I'm basically doing. So why I got into this, why I was convinced it's the next big thing to do, it's simply because, you know what, the rest of the world is doing it and they are doing it very well. And it's the simplest, easiest thing that you can do. I believe if you are a sports fan, there are times you don't even sleep. You travel around the world following sports and you never tire for that. So I thought in my next phase, in my next youthful years, which are the next 50 years of my life, is really to deliver that. What are some of the challenges you have so far faced in this industry? I'll be honest with you, the landscape, it's really bad. Really, like every day we are dealing with, uh, if we talk about Kenya right now, our football federation was suspended from FIFA because of governance that we have. So one of the biggest, biggest challenges that we have uh, within the landscape is our governance when it comes to sports, not only in Kenya, but generally in the African continent is pathetic. It's, you know... As much as many people will try and put in whatever they will do, we have ended up with sports being NGO kind of environment where people seem to be begging for things to be done. Governance is not existed. The budgets that are allocated to sports also are very low within the region. And you will find that even um, culturally, we do believe in education more than we believe in the talent, in the other talents for children, be it uh, singing, be it performing arts, be it uh, dancing, be it, you know, whatever else that the children would be talented in. We will drop those any day for them to get a degree to go to university and do, you know, PhD. And do, we know cases of people who have maybe two or three PhDs, but still cannot deliver anything for their country or for their community. And so for me, the bigger challenge still, you know, we, I will talk governance. I will talk the resources that are located to that. I will talk about where talent sits in terms of the priority list. You know, we all believe that everyone must go to school and, you know, really get the S, even when they're not capable of getting the S, even if they don't enjoy maths, we must push them to deliver in maths. Yet really we can have them, you know, 
be very good at something else. It almost feels like working in isolation because you're trying to do something that no one else is doing. And partnerships are really key. For us to be doing partnerships, we're getting more foreign partnerships than local partnerships because no one understands what we are doing. So I think it's going to be, I almost say sometimes we might need to do civic education. So I think that our cultural beliefs and uh, priorities then makes it very difficult to operate in this market. What is the vision for the Academy in the next five years? For sure, we hope to host a lot more events uh, within the country and to see that we have delivered at least, uh, you know, good talent on a global stage. We are looking uh, 2026, we have the first time Africa is hosting Youth Olympics, which is in Dakar, Senegal, and we are looking forward to, you know, going there not to participate, but to compete uh, with the children from the academy and really to showcase that what we've been doing and that Africa really has enough talent to be able to play and competitively on the global stage. Personally, I'm looking that within the next five years, we will be able to have demonstrated um, enough that there is value in the business model that we are using, in the structure that we are using of combining education and sports, that there will be a number of, uh, you know, academies either franchised by us, you know, that have come up on their own that are using our similar model. And especially within the East African, I know that uh, while I was in Rwanda, I met with the Minister for Sports and she was really keen on, you know, getting something like this there. So I want to believe that in the next five years, we will be able to showcase within the African uh, fraternity that we can do this and that uh, based on this model, we can have maybe, you know, three, four, five other academies that would have come up with a similar model. Is there any slowing down for Rose Magas? I am laughing at you because I don't know what slowing down is. I just, I mean, I did turn 43 last year and I said I'm starting the next 43 years of my life with a lot of, you know, energy, with a lot of experience. And uh, in the one year, because my birthday is coming up in August, In the one year, I can look at what I'm doing and I say, this is my infancy years of the next 43 years. So definitely, I will be running. I will be running faster than I've done before. Uh, There's more to be done. I honestly, and uh, I feel privileged and uh, blessed to have the energy to do it. So you can expect to see more from me. Are there any changes you would like to see in your industry? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I would like to see... Today, if you look at the amount of money that is expatriated out of Africa in just the sporting industry, it's a lot. Rwanda as a government, just looking at uh, the Arsenal uh, chart, they've put in, uh, what, $41 million over the last uh, number of years to sponsor to have their visit Rwanda on the jersey of Arsenal, one team. And you can imagine if that money was put into a team in Africa. Wow, it would be a big thing. To there isn't enough content uh, sports-wise. The African population is just looking and reading about the funders. Uh, we have a lot of sports fans in Africa, but they do not have enough content to consume within Africa. And that's why we consume a lot of content outside of Africa because that's where the adrenaline is. So for me, I'd like that changed. I'd like to see that... Uh, you know, the amount of money that is generated within Africa is also spent within Africa that our youth are able to, you know, tap into that 
We look at betting and we see Africans bet. They bet on sports. They bet on the different sports. And that money, in all due honesty, is expatriated out of the country. I would like to see that that money, a good percentage of it resides within Africa and builds Africa for Africa. Lastly, there seems to be no balance between pursuing sports and education with a stronger lean towards education in Africa. Why is this and how can it be addressed? You know, it's interesting and I use uh, Kenya and Swahili. I hear Uganda has just made Swahili a national language and you're going to be teaching that. But it's interesting that if you look at uh, in Swahili or playing is called mchezo. And so mchezo annotates this thing of, you know, it's just for fun and everything. And you don't have a word like, you know, you talk of funza, which is teaching. And that is very clear in academics. But when it comes to Swahili words for sporting, you will find that there isn't enough translation into that. And that means if people are growing up in that particular language, there isn't, you know, sports remains a thing that you do for fun, not for a career or whatever else it is. And and this has been embedded over the years uh, that then you have those, when we talk about the biases that you you find yourself into. It is a bias that is going to take us some time to get over. And that's why I keep saying that uh, it will take almost civic education. I've seen parents having no problem on Sunday afternoon sitting there watching uh, Barcelona versus, you know, whoever uh, Real Madrid match that is happening at, you know, 10 p.m. Uh, African time, whatever uh, region they are in. But then you tell them to bring their child on Sunday morning to train and they say, no, Sunday is not for sports. Sunday is for resting. And you're like, but you're watching people, paying people because your eyeballs are part of what uh, these people are earning from. You are actually expatriating that money. You're sitting in your living room, paying somebody else to entertain you uh, on your TV screen. When we are saying, can we train your child so that they can be that person on the screen? you say no. So I think for me, it's really going to be a long journey. And that's why I said, if I'm going into this space, minimum I have to put in is 50 years. I might still be alive or not alive, but I'm putting in a minimum of 50 years before I can quit. That was Rose Magas, CEO of Robert Sports Academy. And a quick look at the markets. Cocoa futures on the International Commodity Exchange rose slightly above 2,300 US dollars, the highest in a week on a massive short covering amid fears of smaller supplies from top grower Ivory Coast. Heavy rains in Ivory Coast limited farmers from accessing plantations to transport the harvested cocoa beans further. Government data showed that the farmers sent a total of 2.29 metric tons of cocoa to Ivory Coast Sports from October 1st to July 3rd, down 1.3% from the same period last year. Steel cocoa futures are not far from a one-year low of 2,265 hit on July 1st, as prospects of the global slowdown led to a broad sell-off in commodities, including cocoa. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the Care Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website, that is thekfinancial.com, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at The K Financial, and you can find me at With the Dog. <laughs>